about that time, about that time, about that time, yeah, about that time. Welcome to the jungle, the Auburn men's basketball podcast. And pick it up right where Kessler left off, it's Broome with the block. Auburn men, talking Auburn men's basketball. We missed you, the jungle is already in mid-season form. No frills, no gimmicks. Just ball. Benny Johnson in transition. Now, here's your host, Matt Donaldson and Jackson Garrett. All right, guys, we're on to do a postseason analysis of uh, this season. I know uh, it won't be quite as fun as last year's, but I think it's important that we all get on and kind of talk through our feelings and. Uh, talk about what happened this year, talk about what's going to happen in the future as much as we can. Uh, we're recording on Monday night of the national championship. The game will be going on while we uh, discuss here. I don't even have it pulled up yet, but I'll, we'll be watching it. We're going to be talking about the 2022, 2023, 21 and 13 Auburn Tigers. Uh, so yeah, Mac, Matt, Ben, welcome. What's up, everybody. We took a few weeks off. Our brains are clear. Actually, they're probably more jumbled than ever because of some of the stuff happening with the team. Um, but, uh, you know, we do at least have some space to have some reflective closure, perhaps, on this weird season, you know, that had, honestly, it wasn't really that up and down. It was just kind of, we were what we were, it felt like, for a lot of the year. Yeah, this year was very much a year of meeting expectations. Um, we kind of all came into the year expecting this team to be pretty pretty mid and uh that was about where they finished but in some ways it's a relief to not have those high expectations because the early exit in last year's sec and ncaa hurt a lot more than it did this year uh this year was a little bit more expected yeah i i thought i'd try to frame the discussion here on on our season we'll have a couple different things we talk about but the big question i just have for you guys and whatever this means to you guys we'll start with matt and we'll go to ben matt was this a good season in your head it's a tough one, man. Um, <laughs> whatever I, I, it means, whatever it means to you. Yeah, like just so I I have made a mental pact with myself to look at. I, I knew seasons like this were coming and I historically would have loved to have the problem that we had this year. It's hard for me to call a year where, you know, we finished top half of the league, made the NCAA tournament, won a game in the NCAA tournament. It's hard to call that not a successful season but man the way it all went down was just so it it, it uh, did not inspire much excitement and enthusiasm really most of the year I think I think this was like a basketball you had to really be into basketball to be super into this team and really riding it game by game and uh, so I, I would say yes I think it was a successful season I think our coaching staff got a lot out of what we had um and honestly, I kind of felt like our coaches gave us a lot of opportunities that we just couldn't quite capitalize on. We just had a few deficiencies that showed up at really bad times. So I'm still a little more optimistic on what this season was, but I won't argue with anybody who looks at this and says, well, that just wasn't fun. <laughs> and it doesn't feel like a successful year, but it's hard to argue on paper with where we ended up. It really isn't all that different than what we thought might happen at the beginning of the year 
Yeah, I got to disagree with Matt just a tiny bit that if you know and and watch basketball, this was one of our most painful teams to watch. Uh, We watched ourselves bump into the ceiling a lot. You know, we led uh, Alabama, the SEC tournament and regular season championship for most of the time that we played them. We led Houston by double digits in the second round and nearly reached the Sweet 16, which in the preseason we all felt was kind of the ceiling for this team. Um, and then we would watch them sort of scrape the bottom of the barrel and blowing a lead at USC. Um, after our first loss of the year, we came out really flat against Georgia State. Our first SEC road game of the year against Georgia, we got absolutely boomed. Um, so we saw a lot of really good, and we also saw a lot of this team's seller, and that was hard to watch at times because we never really knew what team we were going to get. You know, I was trying to think to myself if this was a good season or not. And it, 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 it's almost a little too high mindedness, I guess, or whatever, you know, like you said, historically, this is, this would be a good season. We made the tournament. That's so cool for our, our team. Uh, good can be so subjective. I was thinking to myself, did I have fun this season? Was I entertained? <laughs> what is this to us guys? I know we think this, uh, you could wax poetic on what is sports. What is this? But ultimately it's an entertainment for us. We're, ju- we're just fans. It's a fan podcast. I don't know if overall I felt entertained by this season like in a good way i would say this season was okay which means it was not good yeah it wasn't bad it wasn't good it was okay and the entire season was just okay uh you know we're going to talk in a minute about biggest uh like happy moments and uh lowest sad moments and it is hard to think of a lot of great moments honestly most every other season i can think of the ups and downs and there's some ups that make up for the downs and we didn't really have a lot of ups this season that's what really came down to pull one more upset. You know, you can even lose another one of these games. They're like one of these wins that was just super frustrating that we pulled off, but win against another good team on the schedule. And I might would change my opinion off if it was good or not. But it just, I don't know. Overall, like you said, we all know my word for it was frustrating. But, you know, it's, it's tough. You don't want to like rag on or whatever. But like another thing Ben said was it felt like with this team, we knew this team's ceiling wasn't super high. We hoped the the seller wasn't too low. I felt like we saw the lows at time, like about as low as I thought we could get with this team, but we never did quite even see as low as low as the ceiling. I thought it would be. We didn't hit that ceiling very often. Maybe that, maybe that Missouri game at home was about as close to the ceiling for this team as I could think of. And that was about the only time I felt like we were like, man, we're clicking maybe the Tennessee game, but they were down Ziegler and kind of limping through the end of the schedule. So I'm saying okay, Matt Ben's saying I think you're getting a, a thumbs down, right, Ben? For... I know you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna say it's a good season. Um, you again, are. Okay. I, right. I I don't want us to lose track of where we are as a program, and given the way last year ended, particularly now that we see just how much talent that team lost in Jabari and Walker, who are really starting to light up the league, um, we came close to missing the tournament. We really did. We came close to taking some really bad losses at home. Um, I think for the most part, we took good losses at home. We took a couple of bad losses on the road or in neutral sites. Um, But we made the dance. We won a game. um, And we were in most of the games that we played in. I feel like we had – that was probably the most frustrating thing about this team was we never quite got that marquee win. And we were so close in so many of them. Pretty much only that game at Kentucky, I never really felt like we had a shot Mm -hmm. from go. So, So, But I'm going to say good year. If I do thumbs, give me your thumbs. Good season or bad season? You got to put. You got to choose, Matt. 
This is like the MVP discussion. Two <laughs> goods and one bad or one okay. So all right, we're we're two of one of two or two of one there. Uh, something interesting I wrote down from the preseason podcast. I think it was legitimately the preseason one. Uh, I didn't get to write down all the notes, but I do have me and Ryan's. My good season is for us to stay in the top 25 while figuring out kinks, keep our rivals down, and split the West Coast. The only one of those three we did was split the West Coast, and it wasn't even in a very fun manner. Uh, We did not stay in the top 25. We kind of went in and out of it. And uh, we definitely did not keep our rivals down. Bama won both the SEC regular season and the tournament, and Tennessee had a good year too, and Kentucky made a, a comeback. Arkansas, maybe we kept down. We did beat them. Uh, Ryan's was make the tournament nice and 10 plus SEC wins. What do we end up with? Nine, 10? 10. 10. He said 10 plus. So I'm going to say he's that includes one of two there. 10. That includes another uh, 10. I don't know. 10 plus to me means more no, than 10. 10 plus includes 10. Really? Yes. yes. All yes. right. All right. Well, that's that's the notes I had written down <laughs> on our like preseason. I wish I had time to go back and, and actually listen to it and write them all down again next year. We'll make sure to do that. Um, mine were to make the tournament because I, I honestly did not know if this team had it in it. And and <laughs> there were times that they, they put the fear in me uh, and hold serve at home, which for the most part we did, you know, Alabama beat us at home. Um, but we had an A&M beat us at home, but we had one of the games that we absolutely had to have um, down the stretch, which was that game against Tennessee. Um, yes, they were vulnerable. Yes, they were reeling. Uh, yes, we found out they were not as good as everybody thought they might have been, but it was still one of those moments where our backs are really against the wall. Win, win and we're in. That was what we all said about that game. If we can just get one of these last three, we can guarantee a spot in the tournament and maybe possibly fight for some better seating. Um, so Matt, you don't you, know, you don't remember yours, Matt? Do you? No. No. This is why Matt doesn't like <laughs> predictions. I think it's fun. Like even in life, if you, if you don't set the expectations, you may never hit the expectations or you might always like lifestyle creep. You keep moving your life in a certain direction. So it's, it's nice at the early podcast to actually write it down so that when we're doing this, like splitting hairs of was it good or not? Well, I can tell you what I thought good was going to be before the season. I literally wrote it down and it didn't fit that. So I think it's important to write those down. It's important in life. It's not important in something that we have zero control. No, yeah, but I think if you're trying to like make an analysis and a podcast on uh, and talk about this stuff, it's super helpful that I wrote that down. It makes me feel better about my overall feeling that I didn't feel like it was good because it didn't fit what I wanted out of the season. I just like talking about what happens and not what could happen. I think I think that's just a fundamental difference we have. I enjoy the breakdowns of the games and seeing what we're doing and how we're doing it and. Ultimately, you know, I just wanted to point out, it ended up out of our last 15 games. Any any guesses on how many tournament teams we played in the last 15? 10. Uh, it looks like all of them except for 12. Vanderbilt, who did not quite 12. Make it. Uh, Vanderbilt. Oh, uh, no, Ole Miss. Sorry, I forgot about Georgia, Ole Miss. Ole Miss, and Vanderbilt, one each against those. Every, 12 out of the last 15, counting the two tournament games, were tournament team. And Ultimately, we did a good job of framing it ahead of the ahead of the season that, hey, this back half is going to be nasty. And it was. And, and our team fought valiantly and they kept putting themselves in positions to get those big wins, like Ben said. But it just um, ultimately, if you look at it big picture, I just didn't think um, I think a lot of times in basketball, you earn some of your luck. And I, I, it's hard to put words to that. It just. This team never felt like it was earning its, earning the right to be lucky. 
and it yeah. they, it seemed like they made too many mistakes. They um, would would have lulls that were really frustrating offensively. It was kind of a honestly for a Bruce Pearl team offensively, it was rough. Um, so it just never felt like we did enough to kind of earn any sort of cosmic help. Ultimately, I think we should be pretty thankful. We were a nine seed. We got in the tournament. Our metrics were really good. Shout out to our, our coaches for scheduling a really, it may not have seemed like a super attractive schedule, but it worked. It did its job. And um, I think we would have been in even without that Tennessee win. And, and I think that says a lot about mm. how we approach the season. I mean, maybe again, I just, that was, I think the, the, the big thing about that game was if we could get it, we knew we didn't have to worry, Correct. which is a cool position to ultimately be in. And I don't know if we're ready to start talking low points of the season, but I well, think w- one I of the we, things that you want to do low in, first, or you want to do well, high I, first. I want to, I want to talk just a little bit about kind of the, the encapsulating moment for me of, of what this basketball right. team was. And it was that, that road game against Vanderbilt where for the first time we set a guy up and Katie Johnson hit a three-pointer to tie the game in desperation. And then out of nowhere, we completely switched our lineup up. We brought Dylan Cardwell in, and we gave up an easy driving layup to lose the game, um, in part because we had a strange rotation, and in part because there, there was something lacking in this team's killer instinct this year overall and every time it seemed like they got close part of the reason we could never get over the hump is this team didn't have a guy we'd hoped that that might have been a a wendell green jr or a katie johnson our preseason all sec guys um but we 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 were missing that that killer edge we were missing somebody that you knew could manufacture their own shot i guess we might as well talk about lowest point i mean if that's your lowest (laughs) point you're thinking ben because we already got one we already got one checked off there i don't i don't know if i have like a particular lowest moment but Matt if you have one in your mind that you're like man that really that hurt you know I think I think the start to conference play in a weird way was really troubling to me um you know you mentioned the west coast trip we played great against Washington Washington wasn't very good turns out but I thought we played really well against that zone and it was really encouraging to see how well we attacked it and um and then we Florida that that win was about as brutal of a win Jackson you and I watched that in Nashville you were here and like it was it it did not feel like a a a sign of great things to come and then we followed that up by just getting you know it wasn't as ugly as I think we remember it we were close late against Georgia on the road but you still you barely beat Florida who who got better but at the time they were not a special team and then you go lose to Georgia um and it just – we did bounce back and beat Arkansas after that. I just remember those first two games kind of being like, oh, like I don't know if we can score. Like I don't know if we can score against good teams. So that was a low point. And then probably just the amount – the back-to-back A&M and uh, West Virginia games where we went down like 15. Uh, we didn't get blown out. We came back against West Virginia. We kind of came back a little bit against A&M. But it just – those were not – those were good teams. Those were not great teams. And it just felt like we didn't quite have the – the, the firepower. I got to feel, I feel if I'm picking a lowest moment, I wanted to pick like some plays or a particular like series that I, that I, it's tough to like really pierce that out in this season. I just feel like there's a lot of kind of games, but that Memphis game, that Georgia game, those were ones we knew we needed to get early. Cause like you talked about that we knew the rest of the season and like, that was probably the lowest point of the season for me. I think we knew who we were by that Vandy game or at the at Texas A&M one that were tough. But man, that those 
early Memphis, Georgia ones when we still had a little hope that we could be a veteran team that doesn't lose games like that and just get backdoor cut, layup, 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 missed rebound, missed rebound against Memphis and Georgia was really brutal. And it just set up a lot of pressure the rest of the year. It set up so much, like, you know, you win those and maybe we just have such a different mindset on the rest of the season. We, we put like an insane amount of pressure on ourselves that we are on a precipice of being really bad if we don't win like every game to start the SEC. And we end up doing that pretty much. But then it, it just set up the whole season to be kind of this like murky, like, oh, are we going to be good? Are we going to be, are we okay? Are we okay? That's what we ask most of the time, right? Well, and this team had a remarkable ability to go for long stretches without a basket. Yeah. Um, that was probably the hardest part to watch about the Memphis game was that game was close late. But um, I think we went on a three, three or four minute stretch where we were getting good looks. We just couldn't get the ball to drop because we didn't have any shooters on this team. All yeah. right. Well, let's let's switch it to optimism here. I know we I think we're going to spend <laughs> even more podcast on this, the negative parts of this team. But let's let's try to grab some moments in your head. that were positive moments that you had fun this year. Anything you think of? Let's start with Ben. You know, I think you were the last one there. Yeah, no, the most fun for me personally was that revenge game that we had against Georgia because we were reeling from two really bad losses to two very good teams. But it seemed like we might have turned a corner uh, on that West Virginia game, especially in the second half with our ability to drive and score. Janai Broom nearly had a 20-20 game against Georgia, and that included with him sitting out about the last four or five minutes of that one. So if we were if we were a stat-chasing coaching staff, he could have had a monster night. Um, and that was a game against a bad team where we needed a big win and we just did it. We were a better team than them. We were at home and that game never felt particularly close. Matt, I, I feel like the high point for a game perspective for me was, uh, uh you know, it's obvious, but to win a, a win in your end game and to continue beating, I care deeply about beating Tennessee repeatedly in basketball and kept the home winning streak alive against them. We had played two straight in Knoxville, the way the series played out, we'd lost both of those. Um, the the magnitude of that game at the end of the year, um, I think was significant, like Ben was saying earlier. But overall, like I, I wanted to mention one negative and we'll talk more about it, but man, <laughs> wasn't the and I'm gonna chase it with a positive, but okay. <laughs> uh, not just games, right? But I think we all had moments where it was like, oh shoot, our recruiting class isn't gonna do anything for this team. Like that was a huge like negative uh occurrence that I don't think anybody saw coming. And on the plus side, um, I just really enjoyed overall watching Janai Broom. I think he fit in so well. I know we, you know, we can nitpick stuff, but like first year in the league, all SEC player, um, with multiple years left to go, like we found out on the preseason podcast that we didn't really know he was that young. Um, just thought he did a great job. And imagine where we would have been offensively without him inside to, no, to really you. score um it, it's a scary thought and he was durable and he battled the big guys in this league really well i thought you know that, that's a good point i think i just add to our list to talk about player up and downs because i think there's a lot of player stuff we need to talk about even before we get to transfers different things but uh if i'm going high moments i think that arkansas game both me and ryan picked that arkansas game a revenge game from last year as our big game to look forward to. So the fact that at least the game I picked as the one I wanted to win the most is the one we won. We got sweeped by Bama. We lost to Kentucky. We lost one away at Tennessee and one at home against Tennessee. But the one game I wanted the worst was that Arkansas game. And we won that one. 
It sucks that it came after that Georgia loss and, and with Memphis still in our head, but there was still a moment after we beat a top 15 Arkansas where there was hope. It was like, hey, all right, well, if we can beat top 15 Arkansas, maybe it was just a fluke that we lost against Georgia and we're turning this thing around. Now we got a bunch of games in a row that are going to be fun. I think that was the best part of the season was coming off of that. And then no, we knew Ole Miss and Mississippi State and LSU and South Carolina weren't great, but there was still a thought that, hey, this is what a good team does to bad teams. And I thought that was about – that was the time we were posting like, hey, there's still a chance with this team. So that's when I was having the most fun. And the other part that I wanted to ask you guys – because I had the hardest time thinking about this, honestly. I can think of all kind of moments from last season. There were big moments, fun moments. I can't think of a lot of plays this year. Like, remember that play? Remember when we did that? Do you guys have any in particular? They're like, man, that was a great dunk or a great shot or a great steal. I mean, the tough part is so many of them happened in losses. Um, I, we had an amazing run to start that Texas A&M game where we, we were up 10 to 2, where we couldn't miss. We were hitting in transition. It really looked like a team that had somehow figured out and and found its flow. You know, we were coming off this five game winning streak, where um, a lot of it was on the road. So you know, we expected our offense to struggle a little bit. But you were right against that Arkansas team. We saw what this team could be. They don't need to be great. They just need to hit an average number of shots. You know, forty in the in in the forty percent from the floor, in the thirty percent from three, and play that locked in defense. And we strangled Ole Miss. That game was never, or uh, Arkansas, that game was never particularly close. But a lot of our best plays happened in these losses. Like that Katie Johnson three-pointer was crazy. And we'd, we'd really be talking about it a lot if we'd gone on to win that game. Um, we had some amazing plays against Alabama. Katie Johnson had a sequence against them where I think he scored six points in a row and forced two turnovers. Um, we had some amazing Allen Flanagan dunks against Tennessee and A&M that both wound up not mattering just because the, the loss overshadowed everything. So it's, it's yeah, a, a lot of our highlight plays don't feel like they're there because when this team won, we kind of won ugly. When we were up 17 against Bama, you know what? That was some good moments. I can't like pick out exactly one play from that game, but those were some of the higher moments because I remember going into that thinking we have zero chance. I'm just going to watch it so we can talk about it on the podcast and we were up 17 at one point. I mean, now like I think that's what you're talking about a bit of that like, there were some great moments in there. We just lost. And it was embarrassing to lose when we were up 17. So it's hard to pick them out now as like great moments. Honestly, some of the great, I mean, honest, I think y'all are nailing right on the head. Like when we made shot, like Katie hit a bunch of shots in that game. Like he, he shot, he scored 20, I believe. And Trey, how about Trey down the stretch, like hitting shots in the tournament. So hardcore, like that, that is something I'll remember him coming off the bench and like, doing what he did in the NCAA tournament in both games was like a big, I think it definitely shaped how we think about him moving forward. Right. Cause it, yeah. um, so, showed... so close to having Trey be a, a legendary March situation. This whole season could have turned on a pin. If yeah. we could have pulled that Houston game off with Trey doing what he was doing, it would have been a whole different conversation, but of course it's always like that. When well, another game is determined, it's always like that. We yeah. are of course missing the most pivotal moment of the season. Um, which was the Leor Berman dunk against Tennessee. Oh, all oh, right. Finally, we, somebody, in the we forget. Is, somebody in the podcast out there was screaming, How can you not remember the Leor hammer? I, that was, you know, Look, that was it a wasn't, fun moment. It, it, it wasn't was a, a hammer, moment. but it was such a great. In my head, it was a hammer. All right. We ben, had, take this all right, away from all right, me. all right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> it was a hammer. But we had so few moments 
where everything sort of went right and everybody was in the right position this year. And that was just such a fantastic moment of saving an out-of-bounds pass, tossing it back into our guy who knew where somebody was going to be under the basket. You know, it's Lior, former walk-on. We, we're going to talk about how little contribution we got from so many people. But it was just another reminder that like we have guys that can score and contribute, and we don't need that much from them to really turn this thing around and win some games. Let's talk about, I think this will be an easy discussion, honestly, and it will lead us into some of this player discussion. Uh, I think, Ben, you did the math on MVPs this year, and then we'll do who we think should be our overall crowning season MVP. So, Ben, hit him with that math. Yeah, if I remember correctly, we finished where uh, Jalen Williams and Janai Broom both finished with six MVPs. So they had a little over half of our uh, MVPs for the year between the two of them. Um, and I would give, honestly, I would have given him the Iowa game. I, I don't know if I, I included that in my count. So I think that puts Janai uh, ahead for us with seven total MVPs. And I think well-deserved too. I think by the end of the season, we saw, sure, there were games where Joe Nye disappeared, but it's tough to be a center in the SEC and not collect a bunch of fouls or not have an off night or two. Everybody deserves an off night or two, even great players like Jabari last year and Walker last year. But he was by far the most consistent player, the guy that seemed like he fit best on the court. Like we did, we weren't for sure when he did that jump up that he, when we got to the Kentucky games and we got to the big games against Bama and Tennessee and Arkansas that he was going to be able to pull it off. And he did. And he looked like a legit SEC player and he looks like the player to thank God he's sticking around at least for now. And and it'll feel uh, like the one guy on the team that I'm like dedicated, like there's not going to be a guy in the transfer portal better than Joe Nybroom. So MVP for me. I I would, I would agree. I think he's the best player from end to end this year. Uh, I think he anchored us in a lot of ways on both ends. He continued in a very small human way the block party that walker really accelerated (laughs) and um i I just again it's weird it's i've never seen a bruce pearl team throw it inside as much as we did this year but again credit to the coaches for adapting and because i was really curious how is he gonna fit he's a very different center than what we've had in the past few years and wiley we remember how that just always felt like a square peg going into a round hole. It just never felt like it was fully what we were. And and this year, maybe it's because we were so broken from the outside sometimes, but <laughs> it did feel like it fit and it felt like it was a big part of our offense. And he had a great set of moves and I think he got better as the season went on. So I think he was definitely hey, the most reliable guy. You remember when there was a, a hot minute there, we were like, People have figured out that if you double Joe Nye, he's yes. going to fumble the ball. And he improved that within a couple of games. Fantastic. He started hitting a three or two like confidently down the stretch. And I know for sure I am going to overthink that so hard. I am going to fully expect Joe Nye to be hitting two or three threes a game in the next year just because he hit a couple down the stretch. But just imagine, just imagine if he gets that in his repertoire, guys. So he's got the, I mean, look, the fluidity. All, yeah, all you need him to hit is one. Um, he hits one of those and now somebody has to come out and at least be out of the lane when he's at the top of the key, because you want to be able to, at the very least, put a hand in his face, but and his um, ceiling, his ceiling is so different. Yeah. If people around him could have hit threes, he was the focal point of the offense and he shouldn't have had to be, he should have been a, a great piece in the offense. He should have been able to kick it back out to someone that was going to hit something. And he never did. He was never able to do that. 
and it would have changed the way he got to play the game. Some would say, like, even on top of that, he looked great. But just imagine if a couple guys could hit threes around him to open him up. Well, the biggest weakness in Janai's game is definitely his passing. Um, we, but that was a weakness for this team overall. We had a real hard time uh, moving the ball the way that we wanted to. More often than not, we just took the open pass that the other team wanted us to make. And so there were a lot of instances where Janai was open early in a possession, but either because of the size of the guards or because of the play call from the sideline or whatever, the ball did not get to him when we needed it to. And there were so many instances where we were just a step behind whatever the defense was trying to do to us. And our antidote to that was Janai's offensive skill set. Um, once we reached about the midway point of the season and it seemed like that foot had really healed well, his turnaround game where he would hit that spin move on somebody from the wing was unstoppable. I mean, we watched him do it to guys again and again and again. And we got a little spoiled watching Walker last year, um, who is definitely going to be the defensive rookie of the year in the NBA uh, with what our defensive expectations out of our center was. I do think he got a little bit better as the year went on, but this team did have a lot of weaknesses around him. So it's hard to really judge his game completely given what he was working with both offensively and defensively. Yeah. Uh, I, I think there is, and, and you and I, I think had some good debates on the pod this year about that. I, th- I think the big discrepancy, I thought one-on-one defense, he was terrific for, for coming up the level he was. I did not think he was as good helping uh, at times when other guys were struggling. And that's where Walker is just an alien. Yeah. I, mean, I think we got is. spoiled, didn't we? Man, yes. we used to, we were talking last year about how just funnel it towards them. Just let them go past as long as you have, like, end up in a situation where walkers can block it. And now that happened and he got beat a couple times like a normal human being does. And we were like, oh, no. But but not <laughs> just but it Walker. Was... Macklemore was good at that. He was a great recovery defender, help defender. Horace Spencer at times could do that. And I still think Broom, he, he can block some shots. I just, I don't think he's at this point quite as good of a help rim protector as maybe some of those other guys and he, he clearly that plays, has gotta be he, he clearly plays below the rim too he's a very right. interesting center because a lot of our other guys were were guys that were going to catch oops and kind of that was going to be their place was be more athletic than the other guy and you broom is very fluid could dribble better than a lot of those guys maybe could make shots better make those little jump shots better but he played aggressively below the rim very few alley-oops to him after we've had a couple of years and we saw Cardwell hit some really great alley-oops this year I almost picked that as one of our plays it just wasn't (laughs) consistent enough but just it was really interesting to see how many years in a row we've had very on point alley-oop plays and then this year we just didn't really do it much with Joe Nye we didn't do much with anybody and I think a lot of that had to do with our passing ability the the times we saw it the most were uh, long plays to Flanagan in the open court. Yeah. We, did it, um, was, we did it with Cardwell a couple of times. I was impressed when we did it with Cardwell. We just couldn't run plays for Cardwell. He just was is not there. You know? Well, and I would add to this, I think the reason we're struggling, and I think a lot of people listening struggle to remember certain plays, you think about it, like Janai and Jalen are just not always the prettiest players to watch they're efficient they're good but they don't have that same level of you think about even like a guy like Devin Cambridge you know freak freakazoid athletes coming back to Arizona State for another year next year like oh he's still got eligibility wow yeah COVID year baby um I I just I think the makeup of our team just it's not shocking that maybe we didn't have as many highlight real you're right Flanagan in the open court was kind of and the the occasional Cardwell bomb you know showing up out of nowhere and 
because Wendell didn't hit quite as many dagger threes this year. And then KD was KD's struggle. And there just wasn't a lot of options. And and Jalen, mm-hmm. I love Jalen, but other than that play his freshman year that like brought him on the scene, he's just not that guy. If you we'll talk have... about Wendell Green and Wendell Green shooting at some point. But um, I think the other thing that we got to remember is this team is not athletic this year. Alan Flanagan was far and away our best athlete. That's debatable. I don't know. Uh, you, I, I think you need to go back and watch it's the t- Houston ben tape is... and watch the, the West Virginia tape. We got run around so frequently. It's ben, It was crazy. We looked slow. Ben, is, is uh, KD athletic to you? Yes. Okay. I mean, because it can be, you can, you could argue like be the height he has that like, oh, sure, he's very quick, but an, an athlete is he 6'2 at while doing that quickness, which a lot of guys can in college basketball. You know, he, his quickness did not make up for his size this year for sure. Uh, it did in certain instances, particularly because uh, I, I mentioned this in the second half of that West Virginia game. His, his cutting uh, and his movement around screens was. He was the only person that looked like a D1 athlete on our team in that in that instance. And I think that was probably the hardest part for Jalen this year is, you know, Jalen's a big guy and he's not super quick. So when you see him moving around screens to hit those three-point shots, the strength of the screen is what gets him there. It has nothing to do with Jalen's speed or footwork. If if you guys, I don't know if you guys have the stats pulled up for, I have these team stats over here for ESPN pulled up. I think it would be interesting to talk about some of these players. If we ignore johan and chances stats quickly because we are going to do we'll do a little section on that and how it changed the entire season basically but i'm looking down i'm trying to think how do we talk about these guys and one of those things we could do is pick out what is the most disappointing stat for you and while you're pulling it up i'm going to pick mine because i had expectations that zip jasper's three game would get a lot better or not even not better he was very efficient the year before he looked good he's the two guard we once again had a position it was just useless. Last year was the three position. Flanagan played pretty decently this year. Not great. Not a star. Didn't make up for anybody's other bad play, but was average. Our two position was the big issue. And Zepp Jasper hitting 28.4% from three was really disappointing when I thought for sure that he would up the volume and keep the percentage that he was shooting last year, which was like in the mid-30s. So that that's kind of like one of those weird little stats that's not, you know, so I might not be talking about, but hey, man, Zep hits like a three or two more during the season, shoots 35% on a, on a decent volume, and this game's completely different. This team's different. Hey, maybe. I don't know. Um, my, my thing is it's, it's hard to pick from Wendell Green's stat line this year, but the most glaring thing is his three-point shooting. Uh, he shot under 30% for the year, which is just brutal because th- there were so many times last year where we all held our breath um, but he was more consistent from the three line last year, but his, his three percentages down his field goal percentages down his free throw percentages down. Uh, his assists were actually down, even though I thought he was a better passer this year. Um, he had fewer assists this season and he had more turnovers. Um, I think, I think you could definitely pick his field goal percentage too. 36% I mean, from the field from Wendell is not great at the volume he shot. Maybe that's, that's the issue. It, you can't see the volume, but well, it's fine because he shot the same percentage last year and scored fewer points. He he almost scored two more points per possession this year or I per game just, this year, rather. I, I think overall, I mean, I, I'd let maybe Matt can figure out the stat he's, he's going to look for. I guess you're looking at team stats. I was looking at individual player stats, but uh, yeah. We could talk about Wendell. I mean, I just, he's gone. He's left. He's declared for the draft. And I think Wendell is the biggest, like, I don't know. We The transfer, not the transfer, the, the freshmen were also probably equally as big of a storyline. 
but Wendell's play this year and how much pressure we put on him, I don't think overall for who he was and what he was recruited to do, I think we put too much on him because we did not have a star. The freshman didn't work out. Jalen didn't take control. You know, just in general, I don't, he's gone. He's a controversial figure, I think, at this point. I, I, I don't think anybody – no one's happy he's left, or some people are. I don't think you should be happy he left. I don't think you should necessarily be devastated he left. It's just right in the middle. It's fine. Well, I mean, we're we're probably going to get a chance. You know, the two guys that took the most beating on this team the last couple of years were Alan Flanagan and Wendell Green. And um, Wendell Green led the league in free throw attempts. I was going to say, like, I, I, you know, Jackson, you and I ran to, you know, last year on our really long end of year podcast about, I mean, you did not think he – you you would not have wanted him to be back as our point guard this year, which I think it was your stance. If we if you thought we could if upgrade, we, yeah, yeah, um, I would I would have taken the gamble in the transfer portal, and that's what you have to do basically is take a gamble right. that the and like, so I think we're going to be gambling a little bit this year, but we have Aiden Holloway coming in and Trey now, so point guard position you would argue at the two, uh, so yeah, I would have taken well, the I gamble think, last year. Uh, he did improve, he did improve, but not not and, enough and to make all, up for all the other talent we lost. We all said at the beginning of the year that this, once we decided to ride with Wendell, we're going to go back and and be like, all right, Wendell is going to determine how far this team goes. And when Wendell played poorly and didn't really score, uh, it, it lines up with a lot of our losses. Like I'm going back and looking through, there were only a couple of games where he was hurt early in the year, um, where it seems like it's harder to make that determination. But like you look at some of these losses, like, Loss against Kentucky, nine points. Loss against Tennessee, nine points. Loss against uh, who is that? Vanderbilt, five points. I mean, it's it's clear that the team kind of rose and fell with his ability to perform in big games, and it's not all on him. It is a team sport, but he was very much a bellwether for. Are we going to win games? Well, my big my big note the year before too was: Does he make players around him better? And with mm. the talent we had coming in the next season, we didn't have the Jabars and the Walkers and other great players to make up for it. We needed a guy that could distribute and make someone that's average look better than they are. And it's just not Wendell. And he improved and his passing was better. And he tried his, uh, he, he, you kind of could see like a belt, like a, a curve up and down this year where he tried to be the, the distributor and we were still losing. And he tried to be the score and we were still losing. And he just wasn't great at either necessarily. And a lot of that came down. Like I said, I think there was too much pressure on him. I think if we had a decent team around us, he could be a top half of the SEC point guard. I think half the teams in the SEC would be happy to have him. We just set him up with not a lot of great talent around him. And then his attitude was a little off this year, I think. I think he was just frustrated as a competitor. I think Mm -hmm. going to the pros after this is a really – not smart move. We can get into that a little bit. We talk about transfers and people. Well, we leaving, also don't but... know if it was his choice. I think. Yeah, we but have... I. Well, well, we have we to talk about. Least... Yeah. No, we have to at least talk about that because I, I'm not. I mean, obviously, this is the time of year where there's tons of rumors, and there's, um, you know, his dad tweeted at Bruce, laughing at him for his complimentary tweet about Wendell. Um, there's and and every now a lot of the beat writers have come out and basically acknowledge that there were some family issues, whether that's being over involved or maybe giving that advice that he needed to leave and go somewhere, but he's not going anywhere else. He's trying to go pro. And I mean, it, 
we'll never know but i'm not so sure that i i think there's a i i would be super surprised no matter what was going on with the dad or what's going on with wendell attitude or anything that if bruce told him hey here's your choices you can be the backup two position and play like 20 play what kd played this year or you can go pro he should have chosen to play what KD did this year because but, we've we've talked to these guys that have gone to Turkey and have gone to Serbia and all this stuff. That's where he's going. Like people were talking Euro League with him. I don't even know if he's Euro League, and they did not enjoy themselves out there. And you don't make the money you think you are. <laughs> and with the NIL that the way it is, and you get like six years in college now. He could have also transferred, and they say, oh, then you have to sit out a year. I mean, going to college full time with NIL deals and scholarships. Man, you're not going to. not the turkey. You're not, not going to get like, an nil not, deal yeah. riding the pine Jackson. But no, if but I can you, bring us, you, hey, but you can sit out a year at a decent smaller G five school and then play another year of college basketball. That's better than going to Turkey. Honestly, I know people are like he might need the money or whatever, but ugh. yeah, you uh, can also blow out your knee in practice. Yeah, I was going to say easy. But if I if I can bring us back from the realm of speculation, um, one of the things I do want to point out as we move into talking about the guys that we're going to lose this year. Um, I think we all had a little bit of frustration, except for maybe Matt, about our freshmen's playing time. But there are definitely games throughout this year that you can point to directly and say, without the guys that Bruce played, we don't win that game. And given that we were maybe one to two games away from missing the dance entirely and trying to think about how devastating that is for us as a program overall, for our visibility, for our momentum, um, I, I don't know that I would really second guess the coaching staff sitting here from this, you know, vantage point of the end of the year and looking back on everything like uh, Wendell hitting his free throws down the stretch against Tennessee without him. I don't know that we win that game. Uh, Chris Moore had some fantastic plays early in the year against some of our, our lesser competition when we were continuing to struggle to buy a basket where it seemed like he was going to make a big difference. And I don't know how much his injury factored into our downfall and just completely wrecking our rotation. I still think, for the record, that Flanagan should have been coming off the bench as soon as Moore was healthy again. The fact that he didn't, I think, hurt us in a lot of ways because our scoring just evaporated when the starters were out um, because we had our best five guys starting the game. Uh, Thank God Trey figured out how to score because that that was like the only guy that could score when those guys came in. So good good thing Trey could figure it out. Um, Zeb Jasper had some defensive moments uh, against Tennessee as well where his plus minus was just completely through the roof. Um, Jalen Williams was such a, a strange X factor because if he erupted into the 15 to 20 point range, we were there, nobody could play with us because of where he scored from on the floor and the attention that he commanded that freed things up for Janai. Is it, is it time to talk about Jalen? Oh. I'd love to talk about Jalen. I, I, Matt, I, I talked enough Jaylen, positive. Let's talk Jalen now. Yeah, I was Matt, talking about Matt's Jaylen. talk. Matt had some great, like I'm with Matt, I think at this point in seeing that potential Jalen has, it's there, it's there. We saw it at times, the Cancun Jalen's, the Jalen's hitting the threes and getting the rebounds and playing good defense. He just can't seem to figure out how to do anything close to consistently. Well, okay. Okay. I I think we have to cool it a little bit. This was by far his best year. Oh yeah. Um, Jalen single-handedly won us about four or five games. He, he did make a ton of big plays. Um, he did, fa- I'm not saying he didn't fade away at times. He got in some weird foul trouble. He disappeared in a lot of second halves too, didn't he? Yeah. He, he would do something in the first half Jaylen, and kind of go off like 10 or 11 points. And then that was it for the rest of the game for some reason. So Jalen is also an amazing facilitator. 
and on a team that struggled to pass, nobody else averaged above two assists on this on this team, but him and Wendell Green Jr. Right. And that was one of our stats going down the stretch where when we were winning games, we were assisting on baskets. Yeah. And and he he shot the best percentage from three of all the volume shooters. So like oh, yeah. let's not I I think it's a big step forward coming out of, you know, being behind Jabari last year. He did uh, a lot of good things. I, I, you know, uh, Bruce got a does lot of he have, Does he have a next step? Sure, sure. I think he does. But I don't I, – I just don't think I, – I think if you're looking at this year for Jalen as like a disappointment, you're looking at it as, well, he's an NBA player. And I, I don't know if he's that. Um, I, I personally, it sounds like he's going to come back. I think it would be great for him. I think it would be great for us. I think we need him to come back. Um, I'm a little nervous about who we're going to play behind him because uh, we need a backup, but it's hard to get a backup in the portal because people don't go in the portal to be a backup. Um, well, let's talk about Jalen. What we know about Jalen already is that he's extremely comfortable coming off the bench. Well, yeah, but he, he's not. His last year, I don't know. He's not going to be coming off the bench, though. I mean, I, and, and uh, I'll I'll take the I'll take the under on that bet. Who, who uh, he knows something. This is another Trey Donaldson situation. He <laughs> knows something. Who's gonna play the yeah, don't don't argue. the Nostra hey, band hey, is, hey, is hey, incoming we don't know. right now. We don't we don't we don't know we don't know who all Bruce is targeting. I just think of the guys that we would want to come back. You don't need somebody to start over Janai, um, or or really back him up. So I don't see us going after a lot of big guys. Um, I don't. I don't think Flanagan would come back if he knew that he was going to have to come back off the bench. I think he feels that he proved himself as a starter. I think Jalen Williams, between him, Flanagan, KD, and Wendell Green, at least one of whom we know is definitely going to leave. I think if Bruce came to him and said, "I am finding somebody to start over you," I think Jalen says, "Great, how can I help the team?" He would, but there's not. They're not going to get anybody better than him. Oh, okay. I, I right. just hope. Hey, I hope that's true, Ben, and that they can go out there and actually go to try to find somebody. You know, I'm afraid that there's this game they have to play now that if it starts getting out in the news that they're recruiting at a certain position, people get wily and leave or get upset and want Here's to go. The thing. And, you know. Here's the thing. Who's coming to Auburn to try to beat him out and risk their final year at a, at a big school to try to beat a four-year player out. I mean, I just, it's just not going to happen. It's tough. It's a tough time to build a player here. Do you, it's like my big thing with Jalen though, it, why it was frustrating was we saw, I felt like he really had, like a half step group this year from the year before. I feel like it was a half step when I thought he was going to take a full step and like go not quite to maybe your dreams of Jalen, but I thought he had another little step in there. The, the step really was, was his shooting was really good from three. Like you said, I still felt like he just was differential down low. He was never going into contact. Maybe he took some contact. Do you really feel like he was down low yes. being in the boards? That he wasn't flex. dunking, but our best play all year was him in the, the paint. flex cut. <laughs> the floater. <laughs> it's always the floater. It's never Jackson. It's never the layup. It's never Jackson. It's never going into How? the boards. It's never getting a bunch of rebounds. It's never getting the blocks. Well, hold on. It, first of all, it's not never getting the rebounds. Uh, Jalen had multiple double-double games this season. Um, a lot of it has to do with where he wound up getting positioned because when he when he more was re- cutting more, more rebounds from Flanagan from the three position, he ended with four point seven rebounds. I'm just saying, Jalen do... seems like a good freak that should be getting a lot of these rebounds, and he was. I don't know. Like I said, he disappeared at times. I just never felt like he was a physical guy. He's using his physicality. Well, I really would love to see him put some muscle on tape. You got to go back and watch tape, man. I, I will say, I think Jackson has a point here. 
in, in the sense he didn't rebound well enough for my liking. He did fine. I did think he left some on the table, especially late in the year. And I also think there is something about him. Um, he, it's just the awkwardness. It's the yep. it's the lack get of, the free throws. It's the Samir the- Dowdy of of the first year Samir Dowdy, where it's like he didn't he doesn't he got fouled on that floater all year, and I don't think they called it once. This is I, what I'm getting at a little bit with the aggressiveness. Like I'm saying, like he never got those calls. It was always fading away a bit. It was always like shying away with and that's why he didn't get the calls and he could have gotten those and and won several more times he could have gotten times where that floater just missed but if he's being aggressive and going into contact it's a foul call and he was he was going into it and he was getting hit and it never got called yeah you you can't you can't blame jalen for for teams not officiating him i I will give him the same way that they didn't they didn't officiate janai correctly all year i I will give him one thing jalen tried to go for the murder dunk at least two or three times this year. And that's exactly what I want him to do. And he never got it, honestly, but I'm glad he tried it those times. Overall, I felt like he didn't go for the, the dagger as often as he should have, but I will give him there was once or twice that he he went back there at that ball. And I thought this was going to be the moment in that flash blur of a second that Jalen was going to really murder somebody. We were going to change the narrative, but he just never did. I think the biggest thing we haven't talked about is just he he played almost as many minutes as Wendell Green this year. Um, he was a war. Huge. He really was a very. Um, I think he struggled like late in that Alabama game on the road when it went to overtime. He was kind of out of gas, and I think there's a little level there he can go up. I think he can continue to develop his offensive skills. He still looks lost a little bit on the uh, on the dribble driving in. We saw a little bit of it, but it's it's not pretty. Jabari's wasn't pretty last year either. Um, so there's, there's room to grow. I just think the irony last year was people made fun of Bruce for saying we're building around Jalen. Whereas this year, I actually think that's kind of what we're doing. Uh, him and him and Janai, him and Janai together. I really do. I can, I can definitely believe that. But the other thing you've got to remember is how we call our offensive sets and where our defensive alignment is at. Part of the reason why I think our rebounding was so terrible this year was guys just weren't ready. We got so many good looks where we just could not get a shot to go down. And, um, you know, Jalen's not going to be around to rebound as much if he's shooting more. And he was one of our high volume shooting guys. So that keeps him away from that rebounding area. Whereas Flanagan was a little bit more unselfish um, and played low and got in there and got the rebounds. Cause we also saw that from Leor Berman. Part of the reason why Leor Berman was grabbing so many rebounds when he was in, despite his size was that was just the position that he was in on the floor. He's the guy that's down there. He's not the guy that's at the edge taking the shot. So it'll be interesting to see what we do at the three position in the portal. Because I think you're right. There there aren't a ton of really talented four guys that are looking to jump ship right now. But that sort of combo guard, small forward position, is uh, is they're pretty rich waters. And we have to talk about Alan Flanagan, Jackson's boy. See, I... I was about to say, do we though? Do we want to skip Flan yes. and KD because we th- this might change tomorrow? But but we, we might to... not. Something might be different tomorrow. Well, we can we talk to... about what they did this year. We can talk about what they did. Let's and... keep it brief. Let's keep it brief. Flan, let's okay. go. I'll tell you that the high level stuff we we're we're hearing on the internet and different things. And and Matt, let me know if there's something else I missed. But there's just rumors going around that Flanagan's going to be out either way, either for pro or for transfer portal. And then on top of that, his dad was Flanagan. Go back and listen to our West Flanagan podcast. Very interesting. Uh, he might go to Ole Miss with Chris Beard also and then take a bunch of guys with him. Flanagan, Westry, Johan, potentially are all rumored, potentially, if he goes over there. Just there's always these connections and things. 
Uh, so we'll see what if that happens. If Wes and Allen both go to Ole Miss, it's going to hurt. It's not going to feel good. It's going to feel like a, a slight betrayal. Uh, Flan, you know, we talked about it coming into the year that it felt like one of those years, to, despite him not playing as well as I thought he was like, he shouldn't go pro, I don't think. But sometimes these kids get this mindset and he got it after his second year and he's either transferring or going pro and maybe it's time for him to do that, to get a reset. It sucks. I wish he could have changed his mindset and kept it more humble, more like a four-year guy at Auburn that's just going to be a solid guy. But he got in his head that he's supposed to be a star and he's going to go out there and try to find a place where he could be a star. I don't know that it's the, he thinks he's going to be a star. I think it's that he is ready to kind of take that next step. And our offense is not really built around that three position. The three position is going to do. I, we, a, we sent Isaac Okoro to the top five pick. I don't think it's Auburn that's the problem. He's getting starting minutes. I think he feels like well, he needs some sort of reset. He's already let's go back. He wasn't getting started. So yeah, <laughs> if you want to go real. That's because he missed. That's because he missed weeks of practice there. Oh, we're going to get conspiratorial that weeks he missed because I. Why did he miss weeks of practice, Jack? This is my. This is remember oh, like boy. every time this stuff comes up in the message boards of things, Matt <laughs> always accuses me of freaking out for like, oh, it's fine, it's fine, I'm doing it. Yeah, those weeks, I said, there's something, like, one with Chance, too. Both Chance and Flanagan missed these, like, fall minutes. I was like, oh, no. Chance really needs those as a freshman if he wants to be a starter. And then Flan's out. I don't know. His attitude's a little weird. We're not hearing about Wes, either. Is there, There's a chance he could leave before the season even starts. Something weird's going on. Here we are. It felt like something weird happened, right? There's... I don't think we should get into it, but there, there's some We're a fan podcast. We can get into stuff. Well, we can, but let's also recap the year that Flanagan had where he definitely emerged. <laughs> I want to hear what Matt's going to say. Uh, I no, hear, uh, Matt is uh, about uh, to say something spicy and I got to hear it. If, well, if Barstool can ask Bruce Pearl this stuff, Bruce, if y'all, if y'all don't know, is Bar, Barstool interviewed Bruce and they asked him some questions that we could never get away with because they're Barstool. But anyway, sorry, man. Just look. I don't, this is a message board thing. So take it for what it's worth, which is nothing. Um, but it does, would we all agree if you paid attention this year and even last year to some degree, that there were some weird moments where Bruce was chewing out Allen and Allen was snapping back at him. And then Wes is just standing over there and it's awkward because it's his dad. And there's just a whole dynamic there. Um, the rumor was that the first five were called out to go start a drill or practice and Chris Moore was the first five and not Alan Flanagan. Alan Flanagan refused to leave the court and then somehow got into words with his dad. His dad was trying to calm him down, allegedly like hits his dad, like, and then gets sat out. But he, but Wes wasn't like cool with him not getting suspended for it. And then he comes back, but he was off the bench. He was off the bench for the first half of this year. And he was not thrilled about it. I don't know if you remember the body language. It wasn't great. And then Chris Moore got hurt. And then Alan Flanagan kind of came to the rescue and played really well and played a ton of minutes and honestly helped us make the tournament. I don't know if we make the tournament without him elevating his play. So that's, I don't know if any of that's true, but if Wes is going to potentially go to a SEC rival that we play twice a year and potentially Alan's going with him, I don't know how that story worked, but like there's clearly some weird stuff and we're clearly targeting guys who can take his place in the transfer portal. That, you heard it. You heard the message boards stuff here from Matt. I'm very interested. I haven't heard that story before. So that's great. We'll have to, I want to hear when we talk about KD, the weird stuff with KD too, but I just, I think he, we gave with West fans, he's an alumni. He got to be a head coach for a game. 
he's been head coach before. Like clearly like Bruce is like giving him a bone. I really hoped that Wes would leave soon. It felt like the kind of coach that he's had some head coaching experience. We clearly like him and Steve and Bruce annoying is like, these are the guys that when they take that next step to head coach, we want that. We don't want him going parallel to go with Chris Beard, who's got his own baggage with domestic violence accusations that it's going to Ole Miss to play against our own people. Go be a head coach at a G5 school and take your kid with you. Go to mid-major school, do the same thing. If you have to stay assistant, go to the ACC, go to Arkansas, like go, I don't know, somewhere in Arkansas. I don't know. It just feels really like, uh, maybe, maybe we, we, we it doesn't happen and we look foolish for being upset about it, but it feels like there's some weird stuff. Mm-hmm. There was a four-game stretch early in SEC play where Alan Flanagan averaged double digits off the bench before Chris Moore got hurt. Um, without yeah. Alan Flanagan, this team doesn't have a prayer. In the future or this year? No, this year. In the future, I, I, I said it um, at the end of the year. I, I actually said it after the Old Miss game when we just put together the most pathetic rebounding effort I think I've ever seen from an Auburn basketball team that nearly cost us uh, badly that I, I wouldn't mind seeing the whole roster get turned over. I would lose a guy like Janai if it meant we were going to bring in four new starters that had some hustle and, and, and actually played like they wanted to win, not I, like they expected to win. I'll, I'll give Flan credit, man. He, he rebounded the the heck out of the ball um, from his position. And, and especially down the stretch when he got really in full tilt 29 minutes a game territory, he he looked like the athlete, not just scoring, not just dunking. He hit some shots. He looked con- he looked like himself, which is encouraging for his future. I hope he, I hope he and West playing like you said. I hope they find that next thing. It just seems really weird that the next thing could potentially be playing them twice next year. It feels a little weird. Go go be a big man at the mid major level. Go go to Wichita State. Go to somewhere. Like, but he's, but he's, he's played four years. Yeah. He's played four years, and I think I think the COVID year gives us this weird sense of like, well, Jalen could come back, and he might. So, it, but like a lot of kids, like he, I honestly think Flan's like done. I think I could see him going to Europe and just playing. Like, I, I don't know. Oh, how did I, to how watch did I this forget day this? And age with NIL because like the old excuse was like some of these guys need to make some money, and now with NIL. And the, the way the EuroLeague salaries are, the Turkey League salaries are, unless you're some sort of star, which these guys aren't, they're not making that good of money. It was always this old thing, too, with G League. People would always be like, oh, he's going to go make good money in the G League. You're making like 65000 a year in the G League. NIL's doing some of that right now. We saw, we've saw we seen guys getting paid millions of dollars now with NIL. 65000 We can hit 65000 That's That's a... That's a middle class uh, salary you're going to get for two or three years. But does he want to stay? I mean, that's the question. Is does he I mean, want? We are. Have we all not been in a job that we want to leave immediately? Just say quit, and I'll find a job later. But you know what we usually do is we stick it out till we find that next job. This is not even that. They're playing basketball. This is fun. We do this for fun. Watching well, basketball. Was is it, it fun? Is it, is it fun? <laughs> was it fun for him this year? Maybe not. Maybe you're right. Maybe all these early morning workouts and all that aren't fun, but we okay, go wait. to, like I said, we go to work and it's not fun either. And and I much rather do basketball than what we I gotta, do for a living. So let's, let's put a bow on Flanagan. Cause I want to remind everybody uh, his best game of the year got brutally overshadowed by Janai's near 2020 performance. But in that rematch against Georgia, he was darn near perfect. Eight of 10 from the floor, three of five from three. He finished with 22 points. 22 points and it took a 2020 effort to overshine that i mean alan put together a heck of a year i think he's ready to play in the pros 
and and get starters money. I I agree. I hope we don't have to see him twice next year in a different jersey. That'll be painful. We said we'd keep this podcast under two hours, but here we are. But we still have to talk about several other things. Uh, a big one, and we can talk about KD if we want to. Let's keep it thirty seconds each for KD. He was very disappointing. He was second team pre SEC. His three percent shooting did not get better. Bruce warned us before the season that this team's three was going to be bad, and we kind of knew that these guys didn't improve over the off season. We knew it during Israel; they didn't improve. Uh, cool guy, KD. I know there's something weird that happened with him. Maybe he hit a guy, maybe whatever. He lost his little magic for a while. It came back near the late part. I don't know. Super disappointing. I'm surprised to see he wasn't the first one in the transfer portal. Maybe he's even back next year. We don't know like how these guys' off-court personalities are compared to his fiery on-the-court personality. Yeah, the, he's only overshadowed as a disappointment for this season by our, our freshmen um, that didn't play. Uh, Katie Johnson picked preseason all-conference. He came a little bit alive at the end, but it seemed like all of his heroics were in games where it didn't really matter because we wound up going on to lose anyway. So, I mean, great. You padded the stat sheet, but. Well, I, I do think it was encouraging. I mean, he looked like himself for the, the last eight to 10 games of the year. And I don't think it was a coincidence that that almost helped us beat Alabama and Tuscaloosa or almost brought us back from a huge deficit against Arkansas in the SEC tournament. Like there were times, guys, like some of those games I was at, the Vanderbilt game, like he was the one with the pulse. I mean, he and, and I think we maybe undervalued with he made clutch plays last year, but he also had this. I think it just fit with Walker and Jabari, who are much more mild mannered, like different, you know, quieter dudes. Like he kind of was the 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 energy guy last year and i think when he was in a funk this year and he wasn't hitting shots and he wasn't quite in line with his teammates at times it just felt off and it just felt weird the whole year and really until that last stretch it was just like it was it's crazy it's crazy that he was preseason all sec and it's you uh, you you hit the nail on the head for me there which is just that uh you could point to last year several games that we do not win without katie johnson on the floor um, that, that is not the case at all this year. I think if you know, we don't have Katie Johnson, we get blown out a few more times, but there is not a single game you can point to and say, oh yeah, Katie Johnson won us that game. Well, cause he wasn't on the floor half the time because Zepp was more valuable. Yeah. He, he, Katie kind of felt like if I'm using a metaphor here, like NOS in a, in a street car, like in a <laughs> fast and the furious. And when you have a good car and you're racing real good and you're coming around that corner and you're on the straightaway, let's hit the Katie NOS. Bam, we go past another car. Amazing. Except for this time, we were in a little crappy go-kart, and we were skidding out, and he still hit the gas button, and we just ran right into a wall. That's how it feels to me with this metaphor. So he, he's 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 an energy card, but he it didn't work so well when we weren't going in a straight direction to begin with. Just, just so we – and we can do this really fast, but I just want to kind of like where we're at today. The only guy we know is coming back is Trey. Like I just want to make sure family let's he, ride. I, I just want to make sure. <laughs> is everybody... he the only one that declared to come? This is so funny at this point. Someone else brought this. Like at this point, do we have to have a hat ceremony for every player every year yes. to know if they're coming back or not? Yes. Because I remember it was hilarious on Reddit or not hilarious. It's whatever. I don't want to be smug about it. It's just I they interviewed Johan like a game before the end of the season, like after the Iowa game or before the Iowa game, and he's like, "Yeah, I plan on coming back." And so many people ran with that as like, see, Johan's coming back. He's like, the dude said he plans on coming back. 
uh, in another sport, Ruben Foster got a tattoo of Auburn on his arm and still went somewhere else. I'm going to need something a little more solid than plans on. That's like the most political answer. So I don't know. I don't know how you even, you kind of just got to hold your breath until they, until we're past the transfer portal. There's not even, that's another annoying problem with the modern day college basketball. There's not like a solid wall we can head towards. It's like once May 15th's gone, we're locked in as a team. No, they've just kind of let this thing go wild west style. It's kind of like till like about August that I feel good that we know who's going to be on this team. Well, they just I mean, Janai and Jalen and Flanagan are in the NBA draft process with the ability to pull out and come back. So those we are saw, the- and we said and remember Jared Harper. We everybody knew Jared Harper was coming back. It was going to be his great senior year. He was going to be a first team SEC guy. He was going to really score a lot and kind of prove out some stuff. He just left. Jonai could easily do that. Jonai could get in there and find out he's going to be a mid second, and for him that's good enough. And he leaves. Yep, I, it's possible. I don't. I, I do feel good about Janai coming back. I feel a little less good, but still good about Jalen coming back. And then Flanagan, we talked about. The, but then the. I mean, Pete, this has been causing a lot of stir on the internet. It's a dumb conversation. I don't think we have to spend too much time on it. But there is easy arguments here for all these guys that they could look elsewhere for more playing time. And Dylan Cardwell is he going to sit behind Janai again for a third year behind uh, a really good center? Chris Moore, is he the guy who started this year, or is he more the guy that couldn't really back up Jalen at all at the four su- successfully? Uh, Leor, does Leor want to go play more? Because he only played this year because our freshman didn't play. That's the only reason he got on the floor. I, we love Leor, but he wasn't going to be in the normal playing rotation, especially. He could, with- he could be a star at Bryant. You know, it just depends on what he wants to do. And he's been uh, here long enough to enjoy the highs of being like a bench Auburn player. He could just want to go score some points at Bryant. And then the most controversial one of all, we finally get done with our NCAA uh, losing a scholarship through the whole stupid punishment process. And there are rumors. Prepare yourself for Stretch to come back another year. (laughs) I was just about to say, we completely forget. I I guess like everyone said it's going to be so hard to fill 13 scholarships now. Screw it, I guess. Like if he's a decent, like, like scout guy because you can't even stash guys anymore so what is it you know like if you're cool coming back i guess you're cool coming back as long as you're cool with whatever you minutes you end up with which stretch is gonna be zero again which is kind of disappointing you kind of wish you could take a shot on something else but you still can't because it's so hard to fill 13 scholarships now yes so i just wanted to point out all those guys are in flux i think most of those guys are going to come back it seems like but we don't really know anything for sure which We'll have to have another episode once the dust settles on what the roster is going to look like next year for sure. Well, we have to talk real quick. Oh, yeah. and, I mean, there's not, I don't know how much we can talk about this, but Chains Westery and Johan Treor did not play much this year. Very big disappointments. Five star Johan coming in. Chance, high four star, looked good in Israel. Everyone seemed to think that he was ahead of schedule and he's going to play great. Something happened with his knee. He came in, did not look good to start the season, got boomed like a freshman even though his first game was really good and me and Matt were losing it. And then after that, it just did not look good. Rumors that he's uh, he's leaving because he didn't like how they treat his injury. Classic. We've heard that before. Justin Powell. There's just so many voices. I think we learned, or at least I learned, that Chance has been to like five different schools in five different years, kind of like Justin Powell was. I think that's something we need to start looking at in recruiting. The more schools these kids have been at in a row, the more likely they're in that AAU head mindset and they're going to go somewhere new every year and they're allowed to do that now. So I don't know. They're both gone. We don't know where they're going. 
it's really a disappointment because you kind of ride with them this year and you go, well, in the past, we would have said they're still got a lot of potential. Let's let's keep developing, especially Johan. I, I kind of was like, man, I don't know what you think. Like you didn't play well and you need to be developed and you're not going to get developed by hopping around every year. And I, I know me and Ben got a little back and forth on our text about it. If you have one-time transfers and you can transfer every year, if I'm a coach, I'm done developing. Developing is not happening anymore. Someone else is going to develop at mid-major level, G5 level. And I don't, everybody says all these transferring is good for the players. There's definitely a downside that these coaches will no longer have any thought about development. One year development. That's all we're thinking from now on. I mean, well, that's always been true anyway. Ever since they forced NBA guys to go to one year of college at the very least, a lot of the top tier programs knew that like, Hey, we're just renting this guy for a year and we're going mean, to see that, if we can I mean, put you, together a team around him. But that was only about three, four, five, six, seven, eight guys a year or whatever. And the idea was you get a mostly the like sure Kentucky and Duke and them, they figured out how to do a bunch of one and dones, but most teams, 90% of teams would get a guys that they saw to be there two or three or four years. And maybe you fill in with some one and dones. A Jalen's a perfect example right now. Luckily he has a lefty at order, but he's been developed over the years and it feels like that. Right. And it should have been an Alan Flanagan too, but he kind of got that mindset of going to the NBA. But I don't know. You just Johan could be a good guy by his junior year. We have no idea. He didn't play a lot of basketball apparently until eighth or ninth or tenth grade or something. He's French. He lived in Louisiana briefly. I made a bunch of French content. It didn't work out. But he's one of those guys that should have been better. Westry's a weird one with the injury. We still we well, don't know what other stories are there. I don't know if you guys have heard other stuff. I the 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 rumor there. That one clearly, with how Bruce has talked about it, they thought he was coming back. They were they put out content about him the day before he went in the portal or the, the before news broke. And you know, there's rumor it could be an NIL play um, to just see the highest bidder there. Um, but there was clearly not they were not on the same page with the coaching staff. I think I think that's fair to say. So where whatever happened with family or his decision and he just felt like he wanted to go somewhere else. I don't know. That one hurts me a little more. I just think I, I just trust when Bruce Pearl says stuff and he, he was so adamant that this guy was going to be the future, potentially a starter at one, two or three as a freshman. Like that was what he was publicly saying. And maybe he was just wrong. And with that, but it just was weird. You're right. The whole situation was weird with the injury the timing and then he just he did look not great when he when he kind of was getting especially as the competition ramped back up and it they uh been touched on this they kind of had to make that decision in season of like are we are we developing these guys and risking losing a bunch of games or are we trying to win as many as we can and make a big dance and i think they made the right decision there personally but it does stink because not many guys have left our program like this is going to be the biggest exodus we've had. We've kind of been spared from it, honestly, the last few years as it's been starting to get this way. And this, there's going to be a lot of turnover this year. Yeah, if we if we want to talk about, you know, this is a big discussion. I mean, we had like a four hour podcast at the end of the last year. How do you build a team? You know, and then we kind of gambled this year. I wanted to go the opposite way, but it's tough to do it too. We kind of gambled this year on the idea of having a bunch of guys come back. Maybe they're okay guys average guys to good guys but we took that gamble over trying to go get a yuri collins or trying to go get another maybe we could have gotten those guys maybe that's another thing but you take that gamble kind of we didn't it didn't really work out this year partially because our high school guys didn't work out uh bruce like i said i listened to uh, when he did with barstool which don't like barstool don't want to promote barstool i don't like him but 
<laughs> they're just so they're cringe to me. But it was a really good one. They can ask him things that no one else could get away with, honestly. So if you get a chance, go check it out on YouTube. Ryan sent to us and we'll put it up somewhere. But he talked about how to build a team. And he talked about kind of what I think is becoming the majority opinion. You don't go get guys past the top 40 pretty much in high school anymore. He talked about 30, top 30 to 40 guys. You go try to get a couple of those, as many as you can get. We got one this year. And then he fill in with older guys from the transfer portal. Uh, I think the big miss we got is maybe we were fine the transfer portal. We just missed on the top guys to fill that out in the freshman class. We just whiffed, you know, so. Well, and we did think we, we did think we had some guys and to be fair, we weren't that far off. We really weren't, you know, we win two or three more games that we should have. Um, the Arkansas game in the SEC tournament, that Vanderbilt game on the road, we come back and maybe, maybe pull beat that, West pull Virginia. Off that Bama, pull off that yeah, Bama pull off upset. That, pull off that Bama upset. The narrative around this team is really different. It's like, wow, look at what Bruce Pearl did with such incredibly limited talent. So uh, I, I trust this coaching staff. They're definitely going to go and figure it out. They're going to get some players. Because if you know basketball, like a lot of these older college guys do, all you have to do is put on the tape and say, look at the position that Bruce puts these guys in. Look at how prepared they are for to to go out there and execute their game plan and be in a position to get shots and win games. And you got to think that like if you were a former four or five star, you look at where Chris Moore was on the floor. You look at where Alan Flanagan was on the floor and you go, I can be better than that. And I can hit shots that they can. And that just completely changes the whole dynamic of the team. Or you watch Aiden Holloway play in the McDonald's All-American game and say, oh yeah, I want him throwing me the ball. Mm-hmm. I think we need to talk NIL a bit. I think that's been on the back burner of a lot of conversations when it needs to be at this point on the front a little bit. I don't think people know how to talk about it just yet. There's kind of a narrative in the final four right now that there's some older teams and that's maybe they figured out how to do older teams thing. My big narrative from it. And and Bruce brought it up in that Barstool interview too, that Miami basically bought this team that's gone to the final four. Jim Laranaga, Jim Laranaga is a good coach, older coach that's been around for a while. He's the guy that took George Mason to the final four. They spent big time on NIL in the off season. They were the ones that were, had some sort of billionaire, somebody it's a super booster, spent a lot of money. They made a lot of headlines and guess what? They might be the final four. They spent money out there and that's just going to ha- how it's going to be. I know Bruce, we were the big headline after that number one ranking was that we were going to get a big basketball complex. And now he's changed it up. He said in the offseason, we're changing that up. We got to get NIL square first. And I think we're figuring out that basketball complexes, other sports complexes, that's how people competed before they could straight up pay the players. And now we got to figure out how to compete in paying the players. It sucks. It feels dirty. I don't like it, but it's just true. It's how it is right now. So we're talking about freshmen. We're talking about how to get guys the transfer portal to fill in from there, how much turnover you want. But it all comes down to potentially if we can pay for the team that we need and it sucks, but that's just how it is. And honestly, do we feel like we're hearing a lot? I mean, it, it's kind of funny, this NIL stuff. They keep it kind of quiet. Yeah. Nobody talks about They're it. really funny. But how, like, how are we having this? Like, like it was a big headlines when the Miami guy, essentially what happened was they got a big time transfer guy. One of the top five transfer guys that was playing in those. And he got big, big money, millions of dollars in NIL. And then another guy on their team that was equally as good that they're trying to pair him with said, screw that. I'm not getting that. Why am I not getting that? And I don't know if they paid him or if they worked it out, but he was threatening to go transfer portal so that he could get his money too. And now you might be seeing that with a lot of players, like Matt mentioned with the Chance Westry thing. Chance is not a great player. He is not good this year. 
but he was hurt maybe, and he maybe in his head, he's thinking somebody out there will pay me. And he might be right. He's right. Maybe it's, yeah, and it might be us that ends up doing it. It's like almost kind of like how the NBA, it's funny that college basketball, in my opinion, or college sports in general gets blamed for this, but there's two monopolies in the NBA and the NFL, and they made arbitrary rules on age of when these kids can go. And then the reason they did that was because they were tired of spending money on bus. They were tired of spending money on high schoolers that would come in and they would have a race to the bomb to get some like 12th pick high schooler and spend millions of dollars from them and be bad. That's going to start happening in college basketball now. People are going to spend that money on Chance Westry even after he busted in his first year and he might bust again, but they're going to keep spending that money because you have to if you want to compete. So we'll you, see how that all lays it. out. He's a top 40 recruit. I mean, there's a lot of schools that I, I think he's a good player. We saw him in Israel. I, I think he's going to be a good player somewhere. Um, why it didn't work out this year, you know, we, we may never know. But we wanted to get the an NIL guy from Auburn on, and maybe this is part of the reason why we couldn't get him on or get in contact. It's just there's just this funny like collusion to keep it kind of quiet. I don't know who's benefiting from that. If it's the players that think they're benefiting from that, or if it's the schools, or who's if someone's telling oh, them, it's, it's let's the keep schools. it quiet. Is it's it the, the NIL? Schools. But is it the NIL collectives? Is it the schools who's yes. kind of going around going, let's keep this quiet? But why are the players keeping it quiet? Why would the, the same, players immediately, when they sign, put that hat on, say to the reporters or whoever, hey, I got eight billion. Like, who cares? Like, I'm sure the schools are telling, hey, don't say how much we got with NIL. Come on, these kids, the chargers and the houses, they're not going to say something? No. Is it in the contract? <laughs> you can't say, I mean, like, I want to know. I, I just want to hear about I want some investigative journalism on what's going on. Potentially, but you got to remember that the NCAA as an enforcement body is not they're they're more, even more underfunded than the IRS. So as long as it's not something egregious, and as long as it's not a situation like it is in Miami, where you have one guy suddenly come out and say, yeah, I made $1.2 on this NIL deal, everybody sees how toxic that is. And nobody wants to be that flashy, especially not when you're 17, 18, because a lot of times it's your parents or your estate that is handling all of that. You know, they're not just cutting these kids. These kids got, these kids got estates now. Yeah, they got, you know, it, the whole thing has got to be planned out carefully because, again, the money's got to go not just straight from the collective. The collective gives the money Does it? to. Does it? Yeah. Well, the money's got The it, rules it, are off, man. I don't believe a single rule <sighs> exists anymore in college basketball. No, but the appearance does, and that's why nobody wants to does talk it? about it. Nobody wants does to. Who's, who, is it, who is it appearing for? NCAA? They can't do anything. Like you said, it's funny. Like the narrative of NCAA right now is like anytime anything is happening. How is this the NCAA fucking or screwing something up? Like they, it's not ever like, please, the NCAA does this or that. It's always, how did they screw this up? How are they messing this up? You know, I can't imagine that they're like scared of their own shadow right now. They're jumping around looking at their shadow. Like we can't touch anything. Rant. That was me, everybody. <laughs> no, I mean, look, it's it's a mess and it is under, it, it, it does feel veiled. Um, it, you don't know a lot of specifics. I, the only thing I could think of is that in the past that, I mean, think about this has been going on forever, as we know. Um, people didn't talk about it back then either. You know, you keep it. I know you can say it's the uncles. The uncles know the code. Yeah, like people know how this stuff works and I, it's not new to them and, and this whole industry. So uh, look, it now here's the question for you, Jackson. You, one of our bigger arguments in our, I don't know if it was on a podcast or in a group chat, but you know, you, you kind of had this idea like, well, there's no reason we shouldn't Auburn shouldn't be in great shape for NIL for basketball, like compared to our rivals and compared to, and I just kind of fundamentally disagree. I think, you know, 
of course, everybody in the SEC is going to say about us, oh, Auburn, Auburn cheats, Auburn cheats at everything. Auburn knows how to do this. They've got – everybody would have you believe Auburn has this never-ending war chest of money in East Alabama that's just going to – yellow fella. And, and look, there are – we know, we know the story. There are people, and I'm not saying we're poor, but I don't – I don't know how anyone can make an argument that Auburn and its alumni base and its donor base can compete straight up with state schools and universities that are two to three times bigger. I just, I don't think that's realistic. And I do think over time that's going to be an issue for us. So when you ask, is our NIL situation good or is it fixed or is it, Good enough for us to compete. I mean, I think so. We've been doing pretty well. We have the most wins the last five or six years still. But I don't know. I really pre, don't know. Uh, Pre-NIL big-time impact, you know. I think the only example right now, we we just don't have a lot of data points, honestly, because we didn't go super hard last year in the transfer portal on, like, these big – I mean, we got Joe Everyone, which was great. It was against Florida. It didn't really feel like it came down to an NIL battle. The one time it's felt like we've gotten in an NIL battle was Julian Phillips in Tennessee last year, and we lost it. And Tennessee has been killing it in the NIL battle in basketball and their other sport. I mean, they bought their team basically in the other sport and had a good season. Same way Miami did basically this year. They're probably the two biggest examples in of NIL success right now. So I don't know. We'll, we'll hear for sure now that we're really going out there. This might be a good time if, uh, Matt, if you have maybe a breakdown of who we're recruiting in the transfer portal or Ben, whoever. I know I know there's some guys out there that are being talked about in text messages and you know, the only high school recruit, like we talked about, was Aiden Holloway, uh, one or two guard. I think he's going to play starting point guard probably, but there's a chance he could play two. Played really well in the McDonald's All-American game uh, this last couple of weeks. Just pretty cool that we're casually getting this McDonald's All-Americans when we didn't get them for years. Ben, do you know if any of these transfers we're talking about? No, there's a guy named no, Denver or something, I, right? I, I'm not up. I'm not up on the on the boards as much as you guys are. Uh, I I kind of tend to just wait for the dust to settle. Um, I, I'm seeing us listed with a lot of two guards, a lot of shooting guys, a lot of combo, uh, three. two, three, mm-hmm. two, three type. Um, but I did want to point out that we, we did just win a major recruiting battle, not for this year, but for the year after with, uh, LeBaron Phylon. Uh, and we went head to head with the team up the road and we're still able to recruit him after Alabama had what was arguably one of their best seasons ever, uh, in which they sold their soul to lose in the sweet 16, which is just so awesome for them. Um, so I think our star is still rising. I think, um, I think Bruce got a little bit burned, uh, on this whole, I'm going to stay loyal to my guys thing just because of all the extraneous drama that came with it. Um, I think it was worth it for the value that we got out of guys like Lior and Chris Moore, and especially guys like Jalen Williams. Um, but for some of the other positions, I just don't think it served us really well because I don't know how committed they were to to Auburn. And I think we're seeing that side of it that Jackson hates so much more and more is that what guys are committed to is winning and making money and putting themselves in the best position possible. And I think Bruce is a master salesman at getting guys to believe that he's the coach to do that for him. Um, and I think we're just better off with a fresh slate, fresh slate of guys. I saw an interesting comment from somebody about, we talked about in past podcasts, we've talked about past phone calls, things. Bruce is a great evaluator. He gets on a lot of guys early, like in ninth, 10th grade, even eighth grade, and kind of sees them coming. And you'll hear about these guys saying, Bruce was one of the first people that talked to me. The Auburn came out early, earlier than everybody else, and that's how he got them. 
And there was COVID in there a couple of years back where we missed on some of those years that we could have gotten in early on people. And now we're kind of getting in at the same time as other people. So that could be a factor in high school recruiting. Uh, I did finally look up the names that uh, Ryan actually sent over. And we're looking at a transfer portal. I got him Denver Jones out of FIU, a 6'4 sophomore guard, averaged 20 points a game last year. He shot, let's see, three, 37% from three this year. And he's hey, from be... New Market, Alabama. New, yeah, true. Yeah. So we're looking at kind of these guys. I mean, it might be the new classic system. You tell these guys that want to come to Auburn but aren't quite there, we're not sure about, go play some mid-major for a year or two and we'll be back. We'll keep a good relationship kind of situation. So another, another guy, guy. Go ahead. Go ahead. Damian Dunn. A guard at a temple averaged 15.3 points per game. His three percentage was not high. Wait, that was a different game. Sorry. No, it was fine. 34%. I was looking at one game he had that was bad. Uh, but a guy from Temple, that's a 6-5 from North Carolina. You know, we'll see how that goes. I don't know anything about these guys necessarily. Good, good call in the new market. I don't know if you know anything about Damien Dunn. Uh just look. And there's a guy from Rice that's in there, last name. Quincy Lavery. So there's guys. We're we're contacting a lot of guys. But here's what's crazy about the portal, Jackson. You know, you've talked about Yuri Collins in your love. You remember from, uh, was it Oral Roberts? That run, they had a point guard who, who like, scored a ton of points. Max Asmus, you remember him? Mm -hmm. He just entered the portal today. (laughs) So, like. You can think you have this plan of who you're going to go get. And by the way, Denver Jones is visiting this weekend. And then uh, one of the other guys is visiting the next weekend. So we next couple like, of weeks, you'll start to see. And, the, and this guy, Quincy, allowed to finish it off. It was a junior at six foot three from Atlanta, 18 points a game. Connected uh, with Jared Harper's uh, dad's AAU team. 36% from three. So if you can't notice the guys we're kind of going after right now, taller guards that can shoot from three, exactly what we didn't have this year. So, you know, it's another, can I go, can I do a little rant real quick? I forgot to make, I always tell Matt this when we get these shorter point guards, I go, it's great to have these non NBA guys that are ballers in college. And Wendell was a baller. It didn't work out, but I I put it on our socials too. He was a baller. At times you meant you were just like, man, that guy is a basketball player. He's just not an NBA player. And so with Jared and Sharif and Wendell, my big thing was I I get so annoyed with people like JT Thor that don't play like an NBA player necessarily while they're in school, but they have all the measurables. So they leave early and he's doing fine. It's just annoying when you have a guy that doesn't play at the level and then leaves early. So then we have these point guards. I'm like, man, this is what's perfect. They're, they're just not NBA types at all. They're never going to do NBA. So they're going to play really great college ball, and we're going to have them for several years. How have we got burnt so bad by these short point guards? What is going on? Well, okay. Oh, Jared Harper, okay. Sharif Cooper, and, and Wendell Green, none of them are going to spend any kind of reasonable time in the NBA. And we've had them all leave early on us. We're not getting burned, though. We're winning championships with those guys. Like We got burned with Sharif Cooper. What did we get with Sharif Cooper? That wasn't our fault. That was the NCAA. Yeah, that was NCAA. It's just one of those things where I'm saying that, like, I got my hopes up on three different guys as, like, small time, smaller guys. They'll never leave us early for NBA. All three went pro before they should have. But Jared, you can't argue with that one. That I mean, you I can't. did at the time. I argued a lot. About I know, it. <laughs> I know. But but he got us to the mountaintop. He got us where we wanted to go. And, the, and then Wendell, love him or hate him, 
He was a massive part of that SEC championship number one seed last year. And you've got to remember that when you are that size, it's all about momentum. So if you put together a year where you're being talked about a lot and you're putting up decent numbers, you could have what happened to Wendell Green Jr. this year, which is this year he was not as impressive. He scored more, but the team wasn't as good. A lot of his liabilities got exposed. And I don't think he would have done particularly well in the pros last year, but I don't think he's going to do any better this year. He didn't do himself any favors. You know, so, the, fun, the funny thing for you guys is you you both, like not necessarily you disagree with me, but same with Jared and Sharif. I guess Sharif had a little more momentum. I, I kind of thought Sharif would have sniffed the NBA a little more now just with how amazing his assist game was. Uh, Jared's was, I thought he'd come back and do some floaters. He could have been the man on campus and scored you know 25 plus a game and been one of those guys you talk about in college as being like one of the greats. And he... He didn't come back. But like the funny thing is you guys say like, well, he reached his ceiling. So he just had to go. I'm like, if you can gamble again one more time in college that you can improve something before you go bust or whatever, like, I don't know. I'm just, maybe I just completely underrate injury. Cool it is to be a D1 work. guy. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much more that goes into being a college student and being on a college campus. When you're a pro basketball player, all you got to do is get up in the morning, eat, and go to practice. You don't got to worry about a thing else, and the checks come in. It's different. It's a different ball game being a student. I think it gets complicated in the G League and in Turkey and Euro League and all that. Once you've skipped out on the G League, and even then the G League, you don't see a ton of people make it if at, at that size. The only people you ever see make it the G League are these guys that have the measurables that just don't have the skill yet. I rarely see the skill guys that don't have the measurables make it to the next level. Well, two two things. Number one, get ready for the next one because uh, Aiden Holloway is not big. He's uh, six feet. <laughs> but, you know, I'll never get tricked again that these but, guys have any sensibility about staying in college longer and being like a college legend, but, even with NIL. But like but Jared, look, I used to blame like that NIL didn't exist for him yet. But well, well the, the, you're right though that 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 thought process that I do think Bruce used very well. <laughs> of getting on guys early and giving smaller guys a, a chance. Cause he knows how to, you know, he, he, there is that value, but that value is so diminished now. Cause every year is year to year with this. Wendell green is a great, this would not have been a thing three years ago. It just wouldn't. Yep. Disappointing. Uh, if we want to real briefly, I know we said we went down for a big picture stuff with the sec and how we went Bama wins it. Both both rings. Tennessee has a decent season. Arkansas, at least the big thing with all these teams is no one made it past the Sweet 16 in the SEC. Surprising with how good the season went. That's great for us. We were holding our breath for a minute there that one of these teams could break into the Final Four. We're still the team that's most recently made the Final Four from the SEC. Uh, Bama, like, like Ben said earlier, made a literal deal with the devil to get a sweet 16. Now they got rings in the SEC and the SEC tournament. That's a big deal. Getting both on top of sweet 16 is a, a really great season for them. But Hey, when you're making deals with the devil, you kind of, you kind of want a little more than that. Uh, Arkansas is the only one that probably with the insulary tournament solidified a kind of narrative that I don't like. And it's that Musk has this thing three years in a row where he does not play great early in at a conference or in the SEC and figures something out in March. They beat number one seed Kansas and they had Nick Smith come back, which was a big deal, which part of the narrative. But from now on, he's going to have a bit of a cushion over the next year or two. No matter how they play, 
in early at a conference, early SEC, people are going to be saying, but just watch out for March. And he's not going to lose the reputation for a bit. And he's going to recruit off of that. And he's already recruited off of that. That's how he had such a great class this last time. But the but the thing with them is they are leaning into your design. Some I say this, they're leaning into the whole, hey, we will process guys. We will kick oh, guys yeah. out. We will change teams every year. And it has gotten them a lot of talent, but they haven't won Jack. I mean, they really have it now. They have made it in March further, probably on average than everybody else for the last three years. But, and that is important, but I'm just saying that they haven't been competitive in the league. Yeah. I mean, look, you can hang banners for the sweet 16 and the elite eight. A lot of schools do. Yeah. Um, But you, yeah, they don't have any championships. They don't have the hardware. They don't have a final four. So uh, I'll take the way we do it over the way Musselman does it any day. Some other big picture annoying things. Uh, Arkansas is going to be able to recruit off this. They're going to keep recruiting great, I think. They've got something figured out over there in recruiting. It's just it Musk takes the shirt off and goes nuts. The kids like it. Honestly, I don't like him at all. He seems like a dick. But if he was our coach, I think I might would change it back around. He's just like one of those kind of guys. I know people hate Bruce, and it's kind of a similar situation. Uh, Alabama's going to recruit off of theirs. They got some grief for what happened with Brandon Miller and everything, but it really, honestly, I don't think it's going to impact the machine they're starting to build over there. Uh, Tennessee had a great season, too, for their standards, and you just got to hope Rook Barnes might retire soon. I think there was some – Tennessee, I thought they did pretty good. They got, what, second in the SEC? Uh, I just think people they, – they, they, they We finished down the game stretch. behind them. <laughs> Oh, really? Hey, you know what? I do take that back a bit. Maybe I'm just throwing that out randomly. You know what? Here's another thing that got solidified. Rick Barnes's reputation is not figuring anything out in March. Also got solidified again. They are becoming one of those teams. Uh, Purdue is becoming one of those teams. Arizona, too. They just don't do anything in March. And when you're picking your NCAA bracket, you're going to pick them not to do anything. And that is starting to hurt Rick Barnes. I thought I saw somewhere that he might retire this year. I hope he retires soon. They're clearly still recruiting really well and still beating us at times. Not not consistently, but they did this year. Uh, yeah, that's kind of the big kind of big picture stuff I'm thinking about. Yeah, the league's getting tougher. AM, Buzz Buzz Williams, great coach. I've bragged on him a lot. They had a great year. Um they've got they, our number. They elevated. Um Vanderbilt elevated, Missouri elevated a little bit. Um, here's here's a big one I, I meant to bring up. So Kentucky had this disastrous start to the sec and people were calling for john calipari's head mm. and we were all daydreaming about john calipari leaving kentucky for texas or somewhere else nate oats or somebody getting sent over to kentucky uh, a musk something we were hoping for some stirring up of and this might be one of the least stirred up head coaching years in college basketball in a long time Great five, great year for the for upsets in the tournament and everything. But even the guy, FAU guy, is going to stick around to FAU. And he's sticking around to FAU because Texas didn't even open up. They're just hiring their interim guy. At least I'm pretty sure they are. Kentucky didn't open up. No jobs really opened up this year that were better than anybody else's jobs already had. So it's probably going to be one of the most packed years out there in a long time in the coaching carousel. Especially in the South. Yeah. And we're going to see the effects of how frequently the players can move. I think programs now have to understand that you've got to give the coaches a little bit of time to get their guys right and get their players right. And you're much more likely to whiff on a coach than you are on your players. 
And, and I guess I say all that too. The biggest coaching news is probably in the SEC. And I don't know if it's official. Is this official that Ole Miss is hiring Chris Beard? It is. And so Chris Beard, if you didn't know already, was at Texas. He was at Texas Tech. Built the Texas Tech program that went to the Final Four the same year as us. And kind of not backstabbery, but they definitely were upset about it. He left for Texas. Honestly, you can't blame them. The resources are just so different there. It does suck for Texas Tech. Then only, what, a year in? He gets in a bad domestic abuse situation. I believe the wife or the girlfriend or the partner eventually uh, recused. I don't think, you know, go look it up yourself. I don't want to get so much more into it. Seems dubious. Seems like a kind of the kind of hire people thought we were making with Bruce Pearl is what Ole Miss is doing. Bruce Pearl threw a barbecue. This guy potentially domestic assaulted his wife or partner, and they're going to hire him at Ole Miss. And it's going to make the SEC just that much harder. It's incredible. Honestly, you can kind of go down the list now and say, good coach at Alabama, if not great at this point, which I hate to say. Buzz Williams, Texas A&M, has our number. Had another year where they they did really well. I think they maybe got, yeah, they got second in the SEC. Kentucky, John Calipari, can't argue with them. Missouri had a pretty cool year for their for their team, and they could be building something. Tennessee, Rick Barnes, we already know. Vanderbilt, I know Ben's a big fan of Stackhouse over there. And, hey, they beat us, and they didn't make the tournament, but they still had some decent wins. I think they beat And they did Kentucky it through the also. portal. Florida with Al Golden, uh, Bruce Protege, he's going to be good. I think he's going to figure it out. Uh, Arkansas with Musk, Ole Miss with you keep calling him. Uh, you keep calling him Musk. Does what's he, his name? Does he, does he smell? Does he? Eric like Musselman. Musselman. Why am I calling him Musk? Musk. This is another Caldwell situation. We gotta. We gotta. We gotta end the podcast. You're losing your mind, buddy. I my am favorite, losing my mind. My, my favorite Jackson sayings from the pod are when he calls. He's the only person I know who calls Mike Shashevsky Mike K. Not I can't Coach say that K. last name. I can't Mike say that. K. But you call him by his first name. And now we got Musk. And then Michael. Got- Michael K. <laughs> from the from the Dukes. And my Coach K is what everybody Michael calls K from the Dukes. Michael K. That that team in, in Durham. And I then hope people, I hope people think this is fun and they're not <laughs> yelling at me right now on the podcast. You both with the ease of, with which you you talk about teams getting boomed makes me laugh every time. <laughs> That's my favorite. <laughs> Listen, sometimes it happens, okay? You just got to embrace it. Come oh, on, man. do it with us, Matt. Come on, get on the boom train. We got boom. We got boomed in Lexington. Damn, that there sounds great. I think we just upped the podcast a notch. Anyway. Uh, it's a tough league, man, and and we play Ole Miss twice every year. I hate it. Kermit kind of had our number a little bit, but they were always kind of – you still felt decent about our position there, and we'll see what Chris Beard can do. It Look, ultimately there's only so many wins to go around in the league, and um, it, it's going to be competitive. I, I remember Bruce talking about one of his big goals was being like – top five in the sec consistently like and if you do that you're and we've been there you know pretty consistently the last five or six years uh can we keep that can we continue to put stack years this is two years in a row in the tournament five out of six or whatever it would have been like just got to keep doing it every year and i'm sure we'll keep getting un- overlooked and you know not getting the benefit of the doubt like usual but bruce doesn't mind that guys Thanks for rating us on the podcast thing. I asked like a couple podcasts ago for some people to rate us on there. And, you know, if you've listened this far into our stupid postseason podcast and listen to all these games, go in there and give us something. 
we don't really care that much, but it is nice to like connect with you guys and feel like we hear from you guys. If you like something or don't like something, let us know. Uh, let's see. Slim Jimio said and said, listened to 34 shows and he gave us a five star. Thank you. 34. Wow. I, I, I did 34 shows. I don't know why you listened to them all because they weren't all great for sure. Another guy left a really long one. Let's see what he says. Uh, Steven, and he's from Alabama, which is great to hear. There's not a lot of AU basketball podcast coverage out there, so I'm extremely grateful to Jackson and Matt for making this show. Great, insightful, uh, great insight and opinions from two quality Auburn fans. This is a must-listen for Auburn basketball fans. Man, thank you, Steven. He also said, guys, I would really love to hear an interview with Kenny Gabriel. I don't think he is as well-known because it was pre-Bruce play. he was a pre-Bruce player, but he has a lot of fun to watch. He was the star player during my years attending Auburn, and he was a huge bright spot in dark times for AU basketball, the Barbie years. And I will say, we have reached out to Kenny Gabriel. We reached out to him last year around the triple-double time. I think either right before Walker Kessler got a triple-double or right after, because he's the only one that's gotten it ever before that. And we tried. I think we made contact with him, and he was going to come on. It just didn't work out. We lost contact with him or something. So if you guys got a Kenny Gabriel connection, let us know. We would love to interview him. I think you you guys have heard that we enjoy interviewing these these former players that maybe aren't as well-known. The last one is uh, from The Dude. It says, Dank AUB Ball Pod. Love it. I love dank stuff. 420 Blaze It. Says, a great listen for me during the this past season. Don't take themselves too seriously while also being able to talk technicalities. Hey, that's 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 a that is that's one of our best reviews right there. That's true. We don't we're not the best out there, but we have fun. We try to let you guys know that we're just out here having fun and hope you guys are having fun with us. Uh any thoughts on that, Matt? I think we lost Ben. I love, I love the, those are great reviews. Thank y'all for doing that. And it's, it's just encouraging this year's obviously been a little weirder for us, you know, just tracking numbers and like, you know, but it, it has been cool. There's been a really core group of people that have been listening to all of our episodes, even in a year that like we've talked about, wasn't the most fun all the time to watch or talk about. So, uh, you know, we're, we're enjoying, we've, we've continued to enjoy the interviews and just being able to be around this program and it's still again we just have to step back <laughs> Jackson if I had told you uh six years ago or eight years ago you know hey we're gonna be in the tournament almost every year we're gonna have all these storylines we're gonna know these players well we're gonna you know be really tracking this recruiting thing and uh, like we're gonna have lots of players to talk about in the NBA even once the season's over it has added so much to just being an Auburn fan and um that's kind of why it makes we this want- thing it makes this whole thing year round I Honestly, I've, I've, you know, I don't want to be like smug about it or be whatever about the other sport. You know how I am about not ever saying the name of it. I just don't watch it much anymore. I don't get into it, but man, I love covering basketball. And I hope there's a portion of the fan base that either you do it all year long with us and you're just as into basketball as you are in the other sport or some, there's probably some sort of small minority that's like me that just enjoys basketball that much more. And it's glad we, we created this podcast so that we could talk about it and we felt like there was kind of a niche there in the coverage and, I think we've kind of played that out too. And and if we're going to pat ourselves on the back, I will I will say this. Maybe this is a result of having such a good year last year, but the coverage, there's more coverage than there was 2 years ago. The people are starting to pay more attention to Auburn basketball and I think there's more content being put out which I personally like. That's one of the reasons we did this. Was just we didn't feel like there was enough talk about just this team and this program and the games like quickly, you know, wanting to hear what people are talking about. So I think we can at least take some, a little bit of credit for that. And just that I, th- I do think there's a growing fan base population that wants to hear more about Auburn basketball. And again, Bruce, 
for all his potential issues, you know, that we might nitpick now that he's been with us for so long. Um, it's pretty remarkable and it really is. And it's been another good year, maybe. I don't know if it's good or not, but we made the tournament and hopefully we can keep rebuilding and keep adapting to this new environment, you know, moving forward. If you're wondering what we're going to do in the off season, we're not hundred percent sure either. I, I think it's just going to kind of come down to our schedules. Now that we have been in to help us out now that we have storm and every once in a while to come help us out. Hopefully we'll have some motivation when some big news comes through on recruits and transfers and things that people might be able to get the schedule together to, to record an episode or two. Uh, we'll still keep hunting for interviews we love the fact that we've gotten to interview some really interesting people, the kind of people that we get to, that you know, are important to us. I know they're maybe not as big in a national scale or something, but we have a great time with it. So we'll keep hunting for those interviews. And yeah, that, that's kind of our plans right now. I think we need to do one, whether you're on it or not, I think we need to do one once the roster settles. You know, this was weird. It's been, even this year compared to last year, it just feels like there's still so many moving pieces who's staying. We'll have to, pick, we'll have to pick whatever that date is. We don't even know, you it, know? like I would say the next few weeks, we'll probably have a much better idea, definitely of who's leaving. And then also we'll probably by then have a good idea of who's joining and coming in. Uh, and at that point, we'll do another episode. Maybe, you know what? Maybe we'll, we can promise to do something near the NBA draft. I think that'll be a, a more permanent once the draft happens we'll know and we did our live show last year in the draft and thanks for everybody that came out to that and supported that so i think we won't have sadly we we planned last year we were asking the coaches and the players and everybody oh we'll do this every year we'll be at the draft every year in brooklyn we'll have a good time we'll do another live show next year well i don't think they're flying up for this year's draft doesn't seem that way hey Wendell green declared to be pro he might just saying flanagan he might go go blow people away at the development stuff Flanagan, or Flanagan could sneak in maybe and be a be a late second round pick but I don't think they're going to be uh, flying up there for it yeah especially right, well, these circumstances war eagle guys it's been a great well I don't know if it's great it's been great doing this podcast with my friends and I, I hope you guys felt the entertainment of it and not all it's not always about we know we were not going to win everything and sometimes and it makes the winning better knowing that you are going to have viewers like this and I hope that the community around it is what's enjoyable you know it's sports it's sports you know yep another great year a lot of fun um and you know we're gonna keep keep doing this so continue to send in your reviews send in your messages on social media and stuff and uh happy to chat with y'all about anything moving forward all right i think that's it. <laughs>